0: Hey everybody, welcome back for season two of the Broken Banquet Podcast. This season we've got more interviews with missionaries around the world, more interviews with authors who have written amazing books about missions, and more conversations about what it means for us to abide with one another. And yes, probably a story or two about Ashley taking a walk, eating food, or having drinks with someone who she now loves. We're so glad you're back. We're glad to be back. And we hope that you will enjoy this episode. Hello, Ashley.
1: Oh my goodness, Will Bailey, as you live and breathe, I've missed
0: you. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, it's been sort of, it's, I mean, it kind of has not it kind of hasn't. You know, We're still releasing episodes every week, so people are hearing from us on a regular basis, but we haven't actually recorded an intro in a while.
1: It's been a hot minute. You know how I like to mix metaphors?
0: Uh, Yes, I'm aware of that, as are our (laughs) listeners.
1: (laughs) I was trying to say the other day something about water off a back. It's just water off my back.
0: That would be a duck. It's not your back. back. (laughs) It's a duck's back. You said like water off my back?
1: Yes, I did.
0: You know, that doesn't really cause see ducks have these these little fed. never mind. Um so how are you, Ashley?
1: I'm doing really, really well. We um had hey. a great trip to Ecuador.
0: Yeah?
1: Yeah, we went to go see Matt to Ecuador? April. Quito, Ecuador. We went to Quito, Ecuador, uh-huh. and visited Matt Kiefer and his wife April and their three kids. Our listeners may remember Matt from season one. He had one of one of our great episodes. I think it's it's gotten into like the top seven listens of of episodes. So, uh, mm-hmm. listeners, if you haven't heard that one, make sure to go back and listen to Matt Kiefer Kiefer's episode. So that we means had it's probably several
0: week. episodes ahead of mine. But keep going. <laughs>
1: I listen to yours all the time, Will, just so that you can get more listens.
0: Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for the yep. sympathy listens.
1: No, <laughs> but we had a good trip. I think I even told you while I was there that it's been a while since we've gone to visit a new partner, so I'd kind of forgotten what it was like uh, at the front end of a relationship, just those, those first couple of visits and what that's like and We had the best time. It was really good. The whole purpose of the trip was just to abide, to be with them, to see what their daily life was like, um, and just be able to come uh, and pick, like when we come home, to picture that, um, how they live their daily lives so that we can imagine what they're doing day to day. So it was really good. And
0: start communicating that to the local church Mm
1: -hmm. in Sheeport.
0: who are also just getting to know them. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah it was so good. So good. So quick trip down and back and didn't even get altitude sickness. So woohoo!
0: I saw that they were raising money to buy a soccer field so that they could move their whole soccer ministry to a new facility. Do you know, are they done yes. with the fundraising? Were they able to, did they hit their target? Are they going to be able to do that?
1: I think they're still fundraising, but they did sign the papers to purchase this land. So while we were there, they signed the papers. Um, to purchase the land. So very excited about that. If I, I, I was trying to envision what he was wanting to do with the land and the soccer fields and dormitories and hotels and all the things and the best I could come to. And this is just you know me because i travel around the world but in mallorca spain um there is the rafael nadal complex uh tennis complex and they're just massive amounts of, of tennis courts and then you have dormitories for teams that are coming to stay and train but then you also have nice high-end hotels for those that are coming to um stay and play and hopefully get a a, a glimpse of Of rafa um and so i envision that that's what they're trying to do with this land is to create all the space for soccer fields so that when the professional teams of south america are coming to play in a tournament that this would be the place and that the teams could stay and it's close to the airport i think it's going to be great i love he matt is a really good visionary um and he is breaking it apart to make it in manageable pieces so that he can build this. And I love what God's given him.
0: Well, I know it's not directly related to the interview on today's episode, but maybe we can, in the show notes, is there a way to add a link to how they're doing their fundraising? So if people who are interested can check that out, maybe it can be a part
1: Absolutely. Of. I'm the queen of links and show notes. Boom. <laughs> hey,
0: you're yeah. coming to Costa Rica soon.
1: Oh, yes, I am. Coming with a team. I don't know when the last time I've come with a team from our church. I know. We've got a couple of families. Can't wait to come. I showed them videos of you the other day. We had our team meeting to get prepared, and they are excited.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Can't wait to have you here.
1: Pretty excited about our night of worship that we're going to have, too.
0: Yeah, that's very exciting. I actually have a meeting this afternoon with one of the local church leaders here to talk about how we want to promote that special event and um, try and get some of the other churches from this area to come and worship with us on that Friday night and then maybe put together some sort of a workshop for worship leaders from different churches in this area for Saturday morning with the people who are going to be doing leading the worship on Friday night. So, um, And all of that kind of grew out of a a vision that someone from your team has who's been here before and wanted to share some of his contacts and connections and and wisdom with the people that he's fallen in love with here in Costa Rica so it's really cool to see things like that developing and and different resources being tapped into so um, yeah we're, we're excited about
1: all of that. It will be multicultural we have Guatemalans, El Salvadorans, No, it's just Salvadorians. I always get that wrong. We have Uh Guatemalans, Salvadorians, and then Americans, uh, United States Americans coming. So it'll be great.
0: There's probably going to be some Costa Ricans there too.
1: Oh, wait a minute. What?
0: (laughs) Well, I guess we could just (laughs) do it exclusively for the Guatemalan, Salvadorans, and gringos, but we probably Uh should invite the Costa Ricans also.
1: But yeah. Oh, if you yeah. insist. Great. Oh, I can't yeah. wait. It's going to be great. I need to change my flight today. So remind me of that when we get off the podcast.
0: Yeah. And we're glad that you're going to stay for a couple of extra days and spend a little bit of time with us. Yeah, me too. How's cool. your fam? We're good. Um, school is starting back soon. So we're starting to get, you know, school supplies gathered together and that kind of stuff. Um, It's hot. It has been a really hot and dry January and February. I mean, I've heard more Costa Ricans this year commenting about how hot it is, which means it's really hot. So It's hot. Yeah. We're just trying to stay in the shade and, you know, get done what needs to get done. But we're good. Things are good. Good. Yep.
1: Good, good. Well, I'm excited to be back. Who's on the podcast today?
0: So our friend Ben, you know, this – one of the things that I love about what you and I do, and it's come up before, is just being connected to so many different people, this this kind of family, this community that has grown to be a part of our ministries, and the people that we love connecting us to people that they love. And a friend of mine who is a pastor at a church in Birmingham, Alabama— uh, who has been in partnership with us in Costa Rica for years and had listened to the first episodes of season one when we started releasing them last year, said, hey, I've got somebody that you really should talk to. He's a friend of mine. He's a pastor here in Birmingham, but is does some really interesting stuff at the local church level, at the community level, but also internationally. And so uh, we reached out to Ben. I had met Ben at a coffee shop in Birmingham. He was on his way to a funeral. I was on my way to the airport, and we just said hello and shook hands and said, hey, let's get in touch. And so uh, we reached out to him, and, and once again, somebody said yes, they would be on our podcast. I'm really glad that people are going to get to hear from Ben Nelson.
1: Well, listeners, we can't wait to introduce you to Ben Nelson.
0: So, Ben, you and I met a few months ago. I was in Birmingham visiting with one of our partner churches there, and one of the pastors at that church happens to be a good friend of yours, and we were having coffee one morning, and I think you were on your way to pick him up to go somewhere else, and he said, yeah. well, I want you to meet my friend Ben. He's somebody that you really should talk to and have on the Broken Banquet. He's got some really great ideas about missions
2: and doing some really interesting things at his church. So, welcome to The Broken Banquet. I'm honored, 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 and super excited uh, just to be on, just uh, I've been listening back to past episodes and just, uh, I don't know, I felt like a, a rejuvenation in my spirit after just hearing about all these missions that are happening and great partnerships, and I don't know, it just gave me great hope, and so I'm glad to be just a part of any bit of that, and so it's exciting. Thanks for having me. Well,
0: actually, I think that's a wrap. I think we're done here. Um, Thank, thanks so much, Ben. We appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, it's a (laughs) uh, soundbite. Yeah,
1: yeah. can we use that as like a soundbite trailer for season two?
2: That's it. That's all. That's the only script I brought. I don't have anything else. (laughs) Yeah, the check's in the mail. Right.
1: Oh, Ben, it's really well, nice to meet you. I I'm really thankful that you made time for us today. And I cannot wait to hear everything.
0: Oh no. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> well, so Ben, yeah, I mean, go back as far as you as you want to and just tell us and, and our listeners a little bit about who who you are and, and what you're up to in Birmingham.
2: Yeah, so grew up in great Christian family. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor, passed away when I was young, when I was seven, and he was young too. He's about my age, actually, now. And um, in that, you know, youngest of three, a mom who loved the Lord, I just really experienced the church at that age, at least, as just a really beautiful place. Like, um, I'd watch them wrap around my family. Um, like, when my father passed, we moved back to Greenville, Alabama, which is where my mom was from. My dad did some like circuit pastoring in that area when he was younger. And there was this group of men, these three men that I didn't know at the time. But they were probably in their early thirties, mid thirties, and they had decided that I didn't need to go through life without learning the things that my father would have taught me, mm-hmm. and they knew my father. And so, without me really understanding what was happening, they started rotating whose house I was at for dinner on different nights, and started wow. like teaching me different things. You know, one uh, ran a hardware store, one worked on cars, you know, and all these different things. All great men of the Lord too, and I didn't understand in the moment that I was seeing what the church and acts looked like. And I didn't understand that until later in life when I really kind of was able to look back and realize what that looked like. And um, I never felt like I went without a father because of it either. So it was being put in me at an early age that our faith, our religion is way more action than it is words. And um, I saw that, um, which I, I was thankful for, you know, and so grew up in church and with great people went through some different seasons in life as i got older as a teenager but really knew a kind of a calling on my heart which i thought was for ministry but i didn't even know really what that meant and um came out of high school worked at a summer camp all these things and had i worked at this hardware store one of those young those men who owned a hardware store gave me my first job when i was 13. came back home after summer of my senior year was working at the hardware store and about to start at a junior college close by. And a young man walked in. I say young man, my age now, you know, man is mid to 30s, early 40s came in and said, Ben, you don't know me. But when you were like 15, we heard you give your testimony at this like progressive supper thing, which is what we did in student ministry in the 90s. I don't even know. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, don't, I still don't even know what it means. Right. And know. I was like, "Were we take in our mind. I won't even go there. Um. And uh, he goes, I remember hearing that. And I am an elder at the small Baptist church in the country of Greenville. And we have a new pastor. Our church is almost 200 years old. And our new pastor has brought the first youth we've ever had in our church. He has two kids that are youth age. And one of the grandmas in our church has a grandchild who doesn't have a youth group. Would you come be our youth pastor? When I was like, Oh, this is it. This is what we all. This, how could you say no to that? I mean, how right? Like, right? And so I went to Antiochs Baptist Church with three kids and saw God do to this day some of the most powerful ministry I've experienced. And I think it was because I did not know how to do church, right? Like I did not I didn't have any knowledge. I just knew like, hey, these kids need Jesus, and I want to show them Jesus. And I had men and ladies in my life who showed me. Um, what it meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to do that. And we learned to serve really well. And that youth group grew. And it's all those kind of stories of, oh, it grew. Then the church grew and it it was great. And then I was traveling and playing music at the time, had met this girl and was dating her. And I really just didn't know what was next. So I went to Bible college that was all online at the time and started reading about some different theological views that Weren't in my Baptist world, to be honest, at the time, some different voices, some different names and fell in love with some of the things that like they're saying things that I've thought but didn't think I could say. Right. Like they're giving language to mm-hmm. some of my um, views on grace and views on, you know, uh, different things. And um, long story short, I chased that girl up to Birmingham. I got her. It's good. We're still married. And <laughs> OK, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah clarifying. Yeah, you yeah, just just. Yeah, and uh, she um, was coming to grad school in Birmingham, which is where she grew up, and I came and took a position at a Methodist church in Birmingham at the time and served in the United Methodist church from, that would have been 2006 until about three years ago before I planted what is now collectivist church. Uh So that's kind of the ministry story, but to back it up, a little fill in the gap a little bit more, 2009, we got married, both very mission-minded people. And we started a thing called the Garage Giveaway. Um, in 2007, we had started what we now call a missional community. At the time, we just kept reading hacks, and I was like, I need people in my life. I can't go through life alone, right? And so we started doing that later, under a guy named Mike Breen, who kind of opened my eyes to what missional communities are. And, and then that same year, um, we went to the country of Bulgaria and fell in love. It was supposed to be a short-term mission trip that then turned into a partnership that then turned into um, a mission organization. And now we help plant about 47 churches there, um, partner in lots and lots of ways, you, year-round partnership with two main missionaries on the ground and doing a lot of stuff. And then leading up to today, we still have Mission Bulgaria, huge part of our life, and planted a church called Collectivists, which is it's a proof of concept more than a church. I'll say that. It was what we were doing in Eastern Europe a lot. And we really feel like we're about to see a lot of what we saw in Europe come to the States. And so what was a new view of church that looked more ancient than new in a lot of ways and more missional in a lot of its mindsets. And it's been better than I could have imagined. I want to find reasons to complain and uh, I can't, it's a a beautiful church, uh, a church I would be at even if I wasn't the pastor or on staff, it's where I would be.
0: So, I want to get to Bulgaria later. Most of the people that we've talked to in season one of the podcast are, are usually connected and focused on foreign missions for the most part. And the more I've learned about your church, the more interesting I found it and the more exciting I got about it. And I would really like to hear more about this missional church model that you all are doing. Would you explain, if I just randomly walked into collectivist church on a Sunday morning because I was driving by and saw the sign right. and stopped. Yeah. What am I going to find? And, and what about what I find is going to maybe seem a little bit different to me than it, what I've normally found in kind of traditional churches?
2: That I've been to? Well, yeah, well, part of that question, I think, um, doesn't have a very exciting answer. <laughs> um, but I would reframe some of that question. So, Feel free, reframe it. it. Yeah, well, well, the only thing is, so one of the big struggles we had internally when planting collectivists, uh, working with churches in Eastern Europe a lot, we'd been doing this missional community mindset. I'd been kind of teaching on this at conferences and places like that to looking, people looking for a different way of, at the time they thought they were looking for a different way of doing small groups, right? Um, And they were seeing this as a semi-alternative. And I kept saying, "It, it does replace your small groups, but it also replaces portions of your church. And so we were doing this, and I was between churches and going to take another church when my wife was reading one of my journals. I journal a lot, and I have one journal I'm usually traveling with, and she, on the way to get our salary packages, to talk about vacations, literally just looked at me and said, when are we going to plan a church like the ones you teach about? Mm. And I remember going in, like we were seconds away from getting to this church. And it was a large multi-site type church. I was going to be the campus pastor and one of the teaching pastors. And I remember walking in and we didn't say a word because I was probably upset a little bit. And I walked in and usually it would be, okay, we're going to go through with our initial plan and we can talk about this later. But I walked in and literally said, and I don't know if this was out of good faith, out of conviction or out of anger, and I just said, Hey, I love you guys. You've been amazing. Thank you for this. But I think we're gonna plan a church. And I mean, this we've already signed the papers. We're like, we're we're doing this. And you know, I looked at my wife expecting to see like real shock, but there wasn't that either. She was like, I think we both knew that what she said was right. And so to reframe all that just a little bit, the only thing is we initially thought, let's plant house churches. Let's make missional communities house churches. And I just, when I kept going back to Acts, which is, we call ourselves a modern day expression of the early church, so we better go back to Acts a lot. I'm into other writings as well. I just couldn't get past that they still went to temple. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? I mean, now we know the evangelistic side, right? They have the gospel and they're taking it to, but like, we leave churches because they don't preach exactly what we believe. We leave churches, but like for all these reasons, but these early disciples, Saw this pattern that God set up with the tabernacle and the temple. And I still don't know why, but they continued to be faithful to that until they found another space. And so the phrase we said at the time was, We're not going to tear down the temple, but we can elevate the table. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if we took, if someone had no idea what a church was and they went in and did an audit, looked at their finances, looked at their social media, looked at their emails, looked at like all the external things. What at the end of the day with that person who the idea of church was foreign to them, what would they say a church did? And I think a majority of the time we would say, well, they spend a lot of their money, their attention, their finances on this Sunday morning experience. They have some other things they do, but at the end of the day, that's what they do the most. And that's not a knock on the Western church. I think it's just a reality that we sit in. And so we wanted the opposite to be said, not the opposite, but we wanted if someone came in, not knowing where a church was, came into our church and did an audit that they would say, you know what, they do a Sunday morning experience where they all gather together, this really, really neat experience. But they also really put a huge emphasis on lifelong community that doesn't start and stop, isn't set by seasons or ages or stages, but is about doing life with other believers and living things out. So um, to answer your original question, you would see something that you would see at any other church outside of different language that really encouraged missional living, some shared experiences. Scripture says that everybody has a verse to share. Everybody has a hymn to bring, right? You would see um, different communicators. You would find, I find unique at our church, but it's not unique in the sense that it doesn't happen anywhere. We have a very diverse church and we believe that diversity uh, doesn't come from even longing for diversity, but by preaching unity. Uh, what we see at Collectivist is division and diversity have the same root. It's differences. And it's what we do with our differences that determine the outcome, right? So we believe that unity is a choice and we choose unity, even though we have lots of differences. And because of that three years in, I've never personally experienced a more diverse church. And I don't just mean racially, we do have racial diversity, but I'm talking about politically. Like we have far right, far left. We have So many differing opinions within our church financially, like how, you know, homeschool to we're in the public school to be the light of Jesus. It is by far the most diverse thing. So a Sunday morning experience, you would encounter a lot of your typical things most of the time, a teaching, worship, and then a lot of language uh, around other things. But we have decentralized everything else. So all of our missions happen in in missional communities. So you're not going to do a mission on a Sunday morning or anything like that. Pastoral care has been decentralized to missional communities. Discipleship has been decentralized to missional communities. Sunday mornings for us is a time where we gather together with extended family, um, and we have Thanksgiving, and we celebrate Jesus. We open the Word together, and we celebrate what all He's doing. So the short answer to the long answer is, it would look similar to other churches on a Sunday morning. You mentioned several times
0: some sort of different vocabulary that we might hear, and I noticed on a couple of the videos I watched, that you introduce yourself as a teacher at the church, which seems like that's intentional on your part. You don't introduce yourself as Pastor Ben. What is what is that new vocabulary that you're teaching the people who are coming to be a part of this church or that, that is being taught amongst the people if you're decentralizing the teaching as well? What
2: yeah. is that
0: that vocabulary that that as a visitor, I would say, well, wait a minute, I'm yeah not, I've never heard that word used that way, or clearly that's something that's important to them what it, What exactly are they talking about
2: here? yeah that that would be one. We have a lot of them, but um that one's intentional. You'll hear one of two things being said, either teacher or you'll you'll hear if you hear pastor, you will always hear one of the pastors. I have the honor of being one of the people who help care for our church pastorally. I'll say something like that every now and then, um but often as teacher because well, to me, I'll be honest, I think teacher at this point actually holds our feet to the fire even a little bit more. We are there because we long for people to gain correct insight on something. Teachers long for people to grow in their faith. And and I think pastors do that. Don't get me wrong. Um, teacher to us is important because... I also will tell people all the time it's a little cheesy, but like also we want to be lead servants, like you'll never ever go to something that I'm probably not on the front line helping do, like we're not serving places that I'm not serving, but yeah, teacher, I think it's intentional also because I think we're trying to relearn something, and I think that's important. We are in Calera, Alabama, so I don't know if there's a buckle on the Bible belt, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty close to us if not uh. <laughs> And so we are trying to relearn church in a lot of ways. Right. And our church has become appealing to a lot of people who kind of in this deconstruction world too. Right. Like a lot of people who've deconstructed their faith, but have not given up on their faith. And we love Mm -hmm. that because I believe that to get a little bit, maybe touchy subject, I believe the deconstruction with a desire to reconstruct is close to a reformation now with a desire not to reconstruct, you know, I mean, that's, that's. A tantrum in a lot of ways, but um I believe i'm I'm hopeful for the future because if we can identify the things that we need to relearn things that we might need to forget <laughs> or not forget because we learn from them, it can be important so yeah, it's a also you'll experience our Sunday morning I would say it is more of a teaching than a preaching I mean, I'll get excited every now and then, but it's we never assume that anyone knows anything. We'll say that I never say you know the story of Jonah because if I don't know the story of Jonah, then all of a sudden I'm like, well, he's not talking to me, right? And so I'm going to teach everything and not assume anything, if that makes sense.
1: Well, I mean, doesn't rabbi, rabbi mean teacher, teacher? Right. So,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would not put myself in the class of rabbi, but, you know, you know. Just
1: throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: But, I, but what a model, right? Like, and um, I love that idea too of the, you know, that rabbi model got shifted a lot with jesus and it became more of a walking rabbi right like someone that we we experienced life with as they taught and that is that is truly what we're trying to formulate for sure
1: well going back to the very beginning of this interview ben i just want to say i think that you might be the first person who's ever made me cry on the broken banquet podcast so thank you for that well
2: Uh, well done ben well uh, i don't i don't (laughs) Every time someone's told me that, it's never been a good thing. So, well,
1: No, it was just such a beautiful story. and And what a beautiful image of these men surrounding you and being mentors to you, father figures to you, friends to you, people to help you grow. What a beautiful image of what Jesus intended the church to be. Yeah. He meant us to live in this community and in a relationship with each other. And I have to think that after listening to the more of your story of how you've uh, come up, come about building these uh, missional communities, that that's got to be part of the the impetus, part of the what urged you to go in that manner, because relationships really are at the core of everything that we do. Um, and so I, I think that that's it's such a beautiful reminder that that's how god created us to be in relationship with him in relationship with others and and that model and acts to just remind us that that we're designed to live as a church and in community and and sharing each other's pain sharing each other's celebrations sharing each other's food sharing our prayers uh, our presence with each other, so it, it's a beautiful reminder. It looks like it's followed you all the way through life to this point of how God has intended to to teach you, and then now to teach others.
2: Yes, the 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 truth is, when we look at Paul writing to the church of Galatia, when he says, "You know, to bear each other's burdens, and doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ." Right. So, we actually, when we don't allow others into our life, we're actually removing an opportunity for for them to fulfill this law of christ and so you know i tell people sharing each other's burdens isn't like you know giving all your dirty laundry and just like you know complaining all the time but it's an opportunity to you know some burdens we do have to face lots of burdens we can release right but there are some that have to be bared by others and that's the beauty of community the reason we started collectivists really was after pastoring for many years in kind of a large church setting I would hear people would come in and say, I lost my mother this weekend. And I'd be like, so sorry. Who do you like? Who's walking through this with you? And they're like, what do you mean? And they would literally be like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, like, do you have friends, family, community? They're like, well, you know, I mean, I got my sister. She lives in Idaho. And, but no. And then I'd be like, opposite. Like, you know, we just adopted this weekend. And then I'd be like, that's amazing. Like, who celebrated with you? And they're like, no, what do you mean? My wife says it best, but my wife says you can go to church and leave with the same burden, but you can't sit across the table from someone and allow them to leave with the same burden. You just can't Mm -hmm. do it, you know? And so that's our desire is to decentralize a lot of things. Number one, we think that's multiplication. And then also uh, to realize that like missional communities for us, is learning that we aren't allowed to do life alone. That's one of our rules in missional communities is you're not allowed. If you're in a missional community to do life alone, you can't have a minor surgery on Tuesday and not tell anybody about it. You're not allowed to, we get mad at yeah. you on Wednesday. We go, what do you mean you had an ingrown toenail and you did not tell us about it. Right. Because yeah. like it, it because it, it, we are so keep to ourselves people, you know? Yeah. And so it's changing a lot of our mindsets and it's taking, don't get me wrong. It's taken us three years to I think we're becoming what we've said we were in the beginning, if that makes sense. Like it took years to relearn, to apply. We had uh, lots of things that we had to to process through there. But I'm sorry I made you cry. Uh-
1: <laughs> it's a good thing because, and I think it's a reminder too, and you alluded to this at the beginning of your story, how much the Western world The pendulum has swung in the complete opposite direction of consumerism. Let's be honest, we produce a product here every single week, no matter what it is we're doing on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday afternoon, youth programs, whatever it is. We've completely Mm -hmm. disregarded the importance of relationships, and instead we've replaced it with consumerism so that you come, you get something, you leave. But you're not participating in it anymore. And so it takes away, you know, we call it volunteerism because we just want you to come in and short term do something for us. Well, that's not what Christ called us to do. Christ called us to be servants and for that to be encapsulate who we are. And so the beauty in what you're doing is completely swinging the pendulum back in the other direction of of getting back to our first century roots of what we were created to do by Christ and to live in this community, to participate in the community, yeah. and to serve in the community, to lead in the community, to be a mentor, to be a teacher, to be a disciple all at the same time, because that's the holistic way that we
2: are right. created to live in this. And to give hope to some pastors and missionaries on a podcast, I think that the pendulum is already swinging. And what I mean by that, I think that when we have moved to a consumer mindset um, within the Western church, I think a contributor mindset is desired right now. Um, Now I'm not a futurist, meaning uh, there was people 15, 20 years ago writing about this. We all read them, right? And they said, this is happening. And at the time I was like, this ain't happening, right? Like, I desired for that, but it wasn't. I truly think, and maybe I'm more futurist than I want to be. I think that it's happening r- right now. And I'll say mm-hmm. our church, at least from what we've offered, like people, we have people that drive from long ways to be a part of our church because we don't have a multi-site model. We don't have campuses. We're not saying that won't be a part of this model at some point. We have people that drive from a place called Anniston. So that's two hours away. Tuscaloosa, that's almost an hour and a half away. North of, like and they drive there. And at first I'm like, this is ridiculous because it feels consumer even at that point, right? Like, it's like, you're coming here to consume, but they're, no, they're coming there to like contribute. They're coming to be like, a mm-hmm. part of it. They're coming because they have something to offer. And um, I think, I'm hopeful, to be honest. I wasn't hopeful three years ago for the Western church. I'm hopeful for it. I really am. I think that the demand from people who are coming to understand Jesus in his purest forms and Christianity at its core, which I think, again, we talked about deconstruction a little bit. I think that has part of that pendulum swinging as we've torn down some walls that were non-load bearing, and that's important. Uh, And so some divisive things have been removed. But I'm hopeful. Yes, my story of my upbringing plays a part for sure. My wife, the same in a lot of ways. Her family did community living, vacations, uh, life together, uh, communal meals, but they, again, it was all organic. And when you learn to get language, when you get something organized to meet your organic is when something beautiful happens, like language sets culture. And so like when you already have a culture, but you don't have, don't know what to call those things and you get language for that, that's when things take off. So when she started learning language about missional living and communal living, it made sense because she'd already experienced but didn't know what it was, if that makes sense.
1: If you wanted to give a vocabulary lesson at its purest form, what does it mean? What does missional living mean? What does communal living mean?
2: Yeah, so I would go back to a missional community. So a missional yeah. community for us is three things. Um, and I can explain it easily. if uh, Us been in the church a little while, we can imagine a Trinity symbol, right? And so put these in those three groupings, right? Um, with God, in community. To the world, okay. So those three components are heavy weights within missional living, and that sounds on the surface like other things we've experienced, but it's not. So let's think about small groups. Small groups would be two of those things, right? In community, um, uh, with God in community, right? Um, missions would be really usually two of those things. It would be with God to the world, often, right? And then we have things outside of the church, like a good CrossFit would be in community to the world, but without the God portion. So what happens when we're with God in community to the world? And so we imagine that as a missional community. Missional living, number one, is learning that the things of this world are wonderful gifts from God but still pale in comparison to the things of the heavenly. And what I mean by that, let's go back to Acts It says that it had all things in common, right? Mm -hmm. Think about the time this is taking place. This is happening right after Pentecost, right? So what's happening? Does it mean that they all like the same sushi? That they all agree on how to parent their children? No, here's what it means. They saw the kingdom of God in such a real and tangible way that the things that they were different on didn't have any weight in comparison to the thing they had in common. Right. They had a, they, they, they saw the Holy Spirit come fall on them. They saw a miracle where the last thing I love this story, the last thing that Jesus said to them is to go into all of the world and to teach the gospel. And they're thinking, we haven't gone to all the world with you, Jesus. And when we get there, how are we going to teach them? And the next time and he says, don't go anywhere till I show up. The next time he shows up, everybody is gathered for Pentecost because we're. Like, we're, we're that far after Easter. Every nation is represented, and then they begin to speak in their language. Like, he fulfilled the promise he had given them. At that point, they're like, yeah, nothing else matters. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I have a house. You need a house. Take my house, because my house means a lot in earthly standards, but it's nothing compared to what we just experienced together. And so, uh, missional living would definitely be learning to view God as properly as we can, because how we view God um, will determine how we relate to Him and how we relate to God will directly impact how we display Him to the world. And so let's let's talk about how we view God and then let's let's learn that we have different voices, different backgrounds, that's fine, but we have a kingdom in common, and that tips the scale so much that the other doesn't even matter in comparison. So I just got chills at how
1: you explained that, uh, especially the Pentecost. I loved how you brought that all together and explained oh,
2: that. It, really I'll well. be honest. It hit me about two years ago and like yeah. weeping on the floor with the word kind of moment. I was like, the reason of Pentecost wasn't for us to be Pentecostal. It was to fulfill the promise God Jesus had given us. He said, go to every nation. How are we going to do that? Well, I'm gonna bring them to uh, you. Let me bring them to you. How am I gonna talk to them? Let me give you a gift in the moment where you can, right? And it really just shows his faithfulness. If he made a promise, he's gonna be faithful to it. And so, yeah, yeah. I it, uh, boom, Ben, boom. I don't know. It uh, it no. A couple of years ago, I taught that on Pentecost, and I'm telling you, I, it was like the night before. Like my sermon was written, and I was like, I've missed it. Like I've missed it for years. I've missed it. It wasn't just about the gifts of God; it was about fulfilling His promise.
1: Well, I'm going to be bookmarking this so that on uh, you know May of next year I got a new sermon.
2: The problem is once you have that one, I preach the same thing every year now.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, why no, why wouldn't thing. you?
2: <laughs> why wouldn't you?
0: Can we talk about your experience in Bulgaria first of all, that you and your wife had and how? those two things now are related how how is bulgaria a part of your congregation or do you even call yourself a yeah. congregation your community however you want to, to set it up but, yeah. and and i watched it. robert sent me a video that uh, that you guys put together and i'd love to hear some more about your relationship with those two pastors i think they were brothers maybe that are starting churches yeah. all over the place so
2: share with us about that yeah yeah it's a truly humbling backstory Oh nine, I got a call from a guy in the United States and he ran a mission organization called Mission Nail. And they did they tried to get short-term mission trips all over the world. And his son was the drummer of my traveling band. At this point, I was traveling and leading worship at conferences and events, and that's kind of was the big thing I did. And I served the local church mainly as a worship pastor at that time. And he reached out and said, hey, we are planning to do a worship tour in the country of Bulgaria through all these, we call them now Roma villages. At the time, they, the Roma people didn't have the identity as Roma, and it's a different story we'll get into in a bit. But he's like, we're going to go into these ghetto areas of Bulgaria and do these like flatbed trailer worship things. We will pay for you to go. Uh, like not just pay for your trip, but like hire you. Like, I mean, that's why I, I, I was hired to do this thing. I was like, sounds great. And we had just gotten married, me and Cassidy. And I was like, and the amount they were paying and also covered my trip, it would pay for like her to go on the trip. And so I was like, hey, we've, we've never done an international mission trip together. We just got married. What a fun trip. Let's go. And so we just knew we were going. And I told people That I was going to Belize to lead worship on this thing. Like, never heard of Bulgaria at this point in life, probably, (laughs) right? And so it started with a B. It was somewhere. And my wife corrected me. She's like, how many people have you told this to? Because this is not where we're going. And a few months in, I got a call and said, hey, funding has fallen through. We can't pay you to go anymore. We might can cover your trip cost. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. And I hadn't told Cassidy anything, and then, like, by the next day, he was like, actually, like, we don't have any funding. Like, everything fell through. We're going to have to take somebody who'll pay for their own trip, like a normal mission trip, and go and do this thing. And so, for me, in my mindset, it's kind of black and white. I'm like, okay, I was going. Now I'm not going. And I went back to Cassidy and said, hey, we're not going on this trip. And she's like, why? And I told her, she's like, well, we can go. I mean, we are dirt poor, just married. She's fresh out of grad school with debt, barely got a her big girl job, right? I'm doing youth ministry and 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 worship leading, and like like we are not at this place in life. But she was about to determine if we were we had planned on going, we're going. and so we ended up raising the money, fundraising our money, and going over there. And I had done a, a good many international mission trips and lots of local missions. Cassidy as well had just nothing together internationally. And it was just something different when we got there. I, I, you know, I call them people of peace. Scripture kind of refers to when you find a person of peace. I met Dinko Zloteroff and Stefko Zlotteroff. And just, I had never seen a healthier, in my experience, balance of, um, global missions that was local for the missionaries. That makes sense. Like it was a global mission project, but they, it was just their regular mission project, if that makes sense. And how could we partner with that? And so I went back to Steve after our trip, the guy who invited me on the trip. I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm going to bring a group every summer. And he said, this is the last year I'm going to Bulgaria. And I said, why? And he goes, Well, nobody knows where Bulgaria is, even you. And so (laughs) to get people to go is just, is impossible. He's like, I, you know, he does, you know, whatever, I'm going to make up a number, 20 or 30 international mission trips a year. And people will sign up for the ones that they know the name that they don't know Bulgaria. And I was like, okay, well, here's the deal. I have a year to figure this out, but I want you to go back next year with me and show me the organizational side of how you handle these trips financially, how you partner with the missionaries. I'll, I'll pay for your trip next year if you'll go with me and let me see those kind of things. So we did that. I went. went on the trip. It was a great trip. He showed me those things. And so at that point, this was year two, we had kind of just become a mission trip that went to Bulgaria every year that I knew how to do that. And it only took about a year and a half before I realized, and I had to wrestle with some different callings with Bulgaria. At first, I was like, I need to move to Bulgaria. Like, I need to go there. I need to do this. Um, And there was opportunities for me to do that, for Cassidy to do that. But there was something in me that I realized the biggest way I could personally help our on-the-ground missionaries for at least this structure was to be an extension and a mirror of Mission Bulgaria stateside. And so whatever they needed, I could be over here trying to get. How can I partner with them? And doing multiple trips a year, sending multiple teams. So within a year and a half of becoming kind of an organization, if you will, we became year-round partners. At that point, they had planned like 10 churches. And so I got to come in and partner with the next 37 churches. And we started this model that we do here of missional communities, became kind of what we were doing there before we ever did it here. And we were helping, we helped launch multiple food kitchens, which we found the funding for here, right? And we started sending lots of groups each year, partnering with organizations that send students internationally. And we would get on that list, you know, and so I was just doing all the stateside stuff while also going on the ground and while doing those things. And um, it's been a, a, an incredible partnership. So that's how the relationship started with them. The tugging started with the Roma people. Um, never met a more beautiful group of people. Largest minority in all of Europe pushed to the margins of society because of racial differences. Communism fell in 89 and how they were treated Prior to that, they were just blocked off in areas. And so when communism fell, a lot of different things changed in the country, but nothing changed for them. And when we, in 2009, first year I went, if a Roma person were to leave their village or their block and go into the city, if they were not murdered or killed, which was a very high um, chance, and they got into a church, an evangelical church, a, a modern church, um, no matter the denomination, mainline denomination, Everyone, including the pastor, would get up and leave.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was heartbreaking to me because I believe when the gospel means it's the good news, it covers all bad news. And so I thought, how in the world is this happening? And, and, it, and I wasn't mad because, I mean, holy discontentment for sure. But, like, I know historically we've all had blind spots. And I saw that. I saw I can see a blind spot you don't see. And my our missionaries knew this. Our missionaries are Bulgarian They were the only people working in the Roma villages at the time. We've seen that change some. And so that was my draw to them. And even so, I have to go back and look at the year. But I think it was 2010. They were one of like six ongoing presence in the Roma villages of Bulgaria in 2010. And the fastest spreading of the gospel in the world, I think it was 2010. I need to go back and look at that number. Uh, one of the top three fastest spreading of the gospels in the world was in the Roma villages of Bulgaria. So like these men like going in there, they were going into villages. They were so like, you can't go in there as a Bulgarian, like because you know, there's racial hatred towards them. They've also built up an intolerance to the Bulgarians. And I mean, they went into villages, one of which, one of my favorite stories is there's this village right outside of the international airport of Bulgaria. And I know y'all do some work in Romania. So Number one sex trafficking areas in the world is Romania and Bulgaria, right? Mm-hmm. We believe that this neighborhood is one of the largest, if not the largest, sex trafficking neighborhoods in the world because it's the closest neighborhood to the international airport in Bulgaria. It's a Roma village there. And every child we know there is born out of prostitution or sex trafficking, all those things. And it is a rough neighborhood. And Dinko was told, it almost challenged, She's like, you've done a lot. In all of these villages in Bulgaria, but if there's one village you could not change, it's this one. And he said, "That right?
1: Challenge right. accepted. Right.
2: right. And, man, it was hard for years. But He went there and established a school called the Esther Project that offered after school, because education was a huge problem. They weren't being allowed in public schools. He got them allowed in public schools. There was all hate crimes happening to them in public schools, which he had to handle, which were really hard. And then he ended up offering um, building a curriculum, acknowledging where the Roma people were deficient in that neighborhood when it came to education so that he could give some secondary sourcing to get them back up to speed. And then by the end of a few years, the school's calling him and saying, like, some of the Roma kids are performing higher than our Bulgarian kids. Like, what are you teaching and how can you do that for us in a school? And so wonderful people. And I'll I'll lay down my life for what they're doing in Bulgaria. And I'm thankful I just get to play like a little part. Of that,
0: so Ben, you said you've listened to a few episodes of the podcast, yeah. and one of the things that I hope you picked up on that we're really trying to do is figure out ways to avoid some of the traps that short term missions in particular can fall into right. if we're not careful, and what unhealthy relationships you know just how how harmful that can be. What are some of the ways that you? As as a church leader at Collectivists and as kind of the the force behind this relationship, what are some of the ways that you're helping your church avoid those pitfalls?
2: First thing for us is I always believe in, in short term projects should be partnering with long term missionaries. That's a key thing for us, right? Um, is that we are not going there to try to tell them what we think they should do we go there and say what is it that you need help with and how can we add fuel to the fire how can we partner with the local churches how could like and so when we're not there our missionaries are still doing these things does that make sense and so we're just coming in order to i mean like a, a, a very tangible example is when we go one of the things we do bring um is we bring finances as we go now we send finances outside of that but we end up putting that we're able to go visit villages that they haven't been able to get to because at some points gas has been $10 to $12 a gallon there. And so it's like, we you know what? We haven't gone to this village in a while. And since you're here and you're front the bill, like that's one of the things, but it's somewhere they've been wanting to go for a while. Then. And that's like a short, tangible one, but it's always long-term but my missionaries and we are going, and our short-term visit there is always in conjunction with a long-term commitment. We don't have any churches that I know of that aren't partnering with us in other ways outside of just a short-term trip either. What we do on the ground is always partnering with a local pastor and local church. If we do a kids' fest in a village, the end of the goal that day is to connect them. We do it on church grounds or nearby. We do food distribution with the widows within his church. And so we get to help show God's provision through generosity that comes, but it gets to be tied back to the missions on site, not in America if that makes sense most of the people there who know me or see me a lot just assume I live in Bulgaria they don't understand like we're not trying to make this a a western American coming over to change things because our partnership is always I guess local in so many ways and also we don't establish anything that we're not asked to do very rarely do we come up with the idea to do there so
1: I'm curious to know you have this model of missional community here yep. uh, with it, within your church context, faith, family. What shall we call it? Call it what you will.
2: All, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> we call it a proof of concept. So anything you say is holier than that.
1: Awesome. So you have this missional living, missional community here. I wonder how, what that looks like. I'm just dreaming. What does that look like for your faith family here to develop that with your faith family in Bulgaria. Because one of the things that, so I'm the mission pastor here at First Methodist. Mm-hmm. And one of my goals is, has been to get away from from anything that's not relationship. Like how do we pour into the people that we love so much? How do we live with them, be with them, pray with them? So this missional community mindset that you have in Alabama, I'm trying to develop with all of our missionaries that we support and live in relationship with around the world. So what would that, Ben, dream it up for me. What would that look like?
2: Well, I can tell you what it looks like currently and dream more. So currently it's a little bit of an opposite idea. Mission Bulgaria is the mission of my personal missional community. Okay. Make sense. So our missional community started this 501c3, started the organization. Also they helped plant the church, but the mission of our missional community that started in 07, one of the main missions of it is mission Bulgaria. They are the board members. They are all that. So our Our current goal is now that we have these, we have 15 missional communities across five counties is what we have right now in our church. And in that about 70% of our church are actively involved in a missional community. We want to see that go up, but we watched it go from 50% in year one to 70% by year three. So we feel great on track. Our goal is 100%. I mean, because here here is a quick pause. If you are not in a missional community in our church, you will not be there long. Um, You asked the question, earlier will like, what does Sunday morning look like compared? Well, that's one of the things is I teach. Okay. If I'm teaching, if someone else teaches, we have great communicators, but we are not an entertaining enough church for you to come to just consume long-term. It won't happen. (laughs) It won't happen. Yes. And it is awesome. Um, because you have to understand in my background, that's not natural. I was a worship pastor. I was a production manager. I know how to create good experiences. I was in a mega church model, multi-site video teaching situation. So it is sometimes I have to pull away from like my default, you know what I mean, to create those environments, but it is awesome. And so the problem is if you come and we've learned it, it's almost exactly at a year mark at about a year mark in our church. We'll have people who have been very involved as in showing up on Sundays, but they're not in a missional community, they can even be serving on a team because we're volunteer led. But if they're not in a missional community about a year in, I hear the same thing every time. It just doesn't feel like home anymore. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me about your missional community. And it's always, well, I'm not in one or we haven't been in one in a while or whatever it was. Or on the rare sad occasions, we were in one and we experienced hurt because no matter what you set up, there's hurt involved when people are involved, right? Mm -hmm. So for us, what you have to understand is we have literally selled up set up a system that if we don't lean all the way into it, like we fail, because everything we do outside of glorifying God and opening scripture together is not done on Sunday morning. Different missional communities join together on their own structures. But if I'm dreaming with your dream for a second, I actually don't dream for Mission Bulgaria. I dream that we have a missional community that desires to see this happen in Costa Rica, another one that desires to see it happen in downtown Birmingham, right? That These missions don't become, oh, we're missional, and so each week we're choosing a new mission. My goal is I want to see more of our missional community reproduce. I want to see new 501c3s and new long-term projects, and I want to see churches planted, right? We have a mission. So currently, nobody cares about Mission Bulgaria as much as our missional community. (laughs) They do care about it some, but more as a model than uh, coming together. Again, to me, it's multiplication more than addition. We could add more, maybe. But I want to see it more.
0: That's that's so counterintuitive, but it's so early churchy. I mean, it's sending out. It's not yeah. hey, let's bring everything that we do into this big tent so that we yeah. can sort of manage it. It's let's prepare the people who are already in the tent to look outside of the tent. And and yeah. and, we, and I was going to say, give them permission, but it, they don't need permission, but encourage them and teach them in such a way that that is a natural fruit of being a part of this community is the looking outward.
2: Yeah. Well, you nailed it for a couple of reasons. Here's why. They don't need permission. Someone asked me the other day, like, well, how do you manage your missional communities? How do you, I do what Paul did. I write letters to him. <laughs> i give him a call and say, Hey, I've been praying for you. You've been in my heart since last time I check in. But I'll tell you what we don't have. We do not have a good tally sheet of the missions we're doing. I get a call. I swear this happens every week. I'll get a call from like a school and be like, "Hey, we just want to thank Collectivists for the water." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" They're like, you brought a pallet of water. I'm like, I did not bring a pallet of water. I have no idea what you're talking about. They're like, "Well, Anna Mae is the person who dropped it off." I'm like, "Okay, thanks." Like, every week missions are happening, and I have no idea what they are. Now that's probably just a disorganization part. Like, we could probably do better, but also. I don't care. (laughs) That sounds horrible, but like, like I, I, it only does my heart good to celebrate all the things that we're doing, right? God knows what's happening. And so also, let me tell you about missional communities for us. This is not, other people have branches of missional communities around the world doing different ideas like this. We do not own missional communities. And here's what I mean by that. My job, and you just said it will, is to empower you and equip you and to send you. If three months from now, You decide you don't like me, you don't like our church, whatever happens. I do not say, okay, well, cool. Well, you're not your missional community leader anymore. I'm gonna (laughs) need to talk to all your people. We need to make sure nothing gets out. It's yours. My goal was to show you what missional living could do for your life and for the lives around you, to equip you with any tools that I have so that you can do it and probably teach me something better. And then to empower you to say, listen, go and do this. Like I think on the clearest thing Jesus told us to do. I, Jesus told us a lot of clear things, but the clearest thing, I think we could all pretty much agree is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Very clear. And I, my biggest fear in life is that we have spent more time reading and memorizing it than doing it. And I tell this story all the time, but if one day my wife told me to go to the store, she said, we well, pick up milk and orange juice. I said, I'd, I'd love to pick up milk and orange juice. And I am a little ADD. And she texted me a few minutes later, milk and orange juice. Didn't bother me because I know I need reminders, right? Well, I'm driving to get milk and orange juice at the end of the day. And we have this little app on our phone. It's a share to-do list. And all of a sudden I get a notification. And I'm thinking, I'm on my way to get milk and orange juice. She's added new things to the list. I look at the list and it says milk and orange juice. And I'm frustrated. I'm <laughs> I'm frustrated. I'm like, what are we doing? It's milk and orange juice. It's pretty simple, Right. I get there and I get there and I go and I get I get the milk and I start thinking about all the other things in our house we need. And I think I'm going to be the best husband ever. I'm going to come home with the toothpaste. That's all the kids' toothpaste was out. I'm going to come home with toilet paper. And I go in and I get all this stuff. I get home. I ring the doorbell, mainly because I want to see her, see me standing there like Superman with all the bags on my arms because I'm only making one trip anyways. And um, she's like, you got a lot more than milk and orange juice. And I said, I did. I got all kinds of stuff. And she started opening. She's like, you know, I had a separate list for this. I was going to get this later, but I'm thankful. Thank you. She gets it all out. She gets the milk out and gets to the end and goes, where's the orange Where's the orange (laughs) (laughs) True story. (laughs) True story, right? Simplest task. Simplest task. But so many times we try to do good things and and good things are good unless we get off the task that we were given, right? And then I think back on that story. What if it would have gone differently? What if I would have shown up at home with nothing? And she would have said what'd you do i'm like i got your list like i read it and i actually went and picked up will and will and me read it together he memorized it and i learned the greek word for orange juice would she be happy with me (laughs) no and i think there's gonna be many of us who call the church our faith family who one day get to heaven And literally try to convince God that we did it because we memorized it, because we learned the Greek for it. And I think you should memorize the list. I think you should read the list. I think you should learn the Greek for the list if it helps you do the list, right? Mm -hmm. So My biggest goal in life when it comes to equipping is is to empower. I think empowering is one of the deficiencies within our equipping. Because if we look at Jesus' disciples, they weren't ready, but he empowered them and sent them forward. And we hold on to people because they're not ready. I'm going to empower you before you're ready. Like, I'm going to send you out. I tell people I'd rather fail with somebody than stop somebody from succeeding. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to send you out. If you seem like I have missional community leaders right now that I would have never told you would have been good missional community leaders, and they're crushing it. And I got missional community leaders that I handpicked, hand-trained, hand-discipled that failed quickly at leading a missional community. Right? And so, I don't know. I think empowering is important. Uh, I am... Less worried about keeping up with how many missions we do. I want, I want to, I want to see it multiply. I mean, that's that's our end result. And so, going back again to the initial, I would love for more mission communities to hop on what we're doing in Bulgaria, a hundred percent. But I'm thankful that we just have the same heart. You know, Paul when he sent Timothy, he didn't say he has my church structure. He didn't say, you know, he has our work chart. He says he has my heart, right? And like that's what I want. Like I, I want to be able to send people into the world and. They'll call up Will and say, Will, I got this group of people that are just want to make Costa Rica our mission. How can we support you? You know, Ben, Will and I, I'll call you and be like, hey, Will, like, I, they have my heart, right? And that'll say enough. That's our desire. Well,
0: Ben, gosh, I'm so glad that our friend Robert Mercer introduced us to one another. This is one of the things that I say to teams when they come down here to spend time with us is that I hope when they leave here, the word church means something different than it did when they got Mm -hmm. here. And uh, you are really pushing that to the extreme. And I think it's fascinating and I'm so glad to have learned more about it. I think you've given us a lot to think about and to talk about. And, you know, we may, we may circle back around and have you back on again at some point because there's a, there's a whole lot here that we just couldn't get to today, but I just think it's, it's fascinating and I've thoroughly enjoyed learning about who you are and about collectivists and, and all of it. Well, it's been my honor for sure.
1: Will, this has been the best day. Thanks so much for introducing me to Ben. Ben, so great to meet
2: you. Yeah. I love y'all. I'm thankful for you. And listen, any day you call me, I'm here. Thanks, Ben. Bye, Ashley. Bye, Will.
1: You've been listening to The Broken Banquet a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast.